Dancing's the one thing I'm not worried about. But if there are people there and I'm I get worried, uh, stand and I... I hate to be a stickler, but in, I, I need to be thorough. Can, um, show me what you mean by you're not worried about it. Trust me. Peace up! Yeah. 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 That's what it's all about right there. See how it gets bigger? Start the fire. But the feet are going. I start the fire. I make the pizza. Hips are always going. When the club the homies, From there, the Q tip. Q tip. Throw it away. That's not working. Hit it with this. Don't. Ever do that again. Do you hear me? Just expressing myself. New. New. Mm-mm. Not like that, you're not. How many of you have ever made a fool of yourself in the name of love? Be honest. Like that guy on the screen. You know what I'm talking about. Well, open your Bibles this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 24. Be on the first couple of pages of your Bible as we continue our series called The Vow. Today we're going to be talking about the vow of pursuit and the crazy things we do pursuing that one that we love to try to catch them. As you turn in there, I want to give you a quick update. As many of you know, I wasn't here last week. I was with our missionaries, uh, the Rezgas, April and Adolfo Rezga. We've supported them for the last five years as a church in Orizaba, Mexico. Um, we, they started a church from scratch there like we started this church about seven years ago. And we've supported them ever since. This is our first opportunity uh, to go down there and see the work firsthand. And uh, they're doing an incredible job down in Orizaba. They're already running well over 100 people uh, in their church each Sunday. Sunday, and God just opened the door the first of the year. They uh, found a brand new facility they were able to rent. Uh, they have it all the time, 24-7. Uh, they rent it out. It's three times the size of the building they were renting, and it only added about $40 a month uh, to their cost. So it was just a huge God thing, beautiful facility. It, was, it used to be kind of a banquet hall. They did weddings and parties, and now they have it as their church all the time. So I think they're ready for just an explosion of growth there at their church. And uh, you know, one of the things we wanted to do by being down there and seeing their work is just be a blessing to them encourage them um, you know I got there and I said what do you guys need what are you what are you needing and they were kind of sheepish at first and they're like well we could use a few more chairs you know we're running out of chairs I'm like what else think bigger and then they finally caught on and then they gave me a big list and I am really thrilled and excited to tell you guys, as a church, you guys bought them over like $3,500 worth of the stuff while we were down there. We bought them some, uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. We just paid cash for it. We bought it for them. We had the money in our missions account. And we were able just for a week to just love on them, uh, buy them some sound equipment, some chairs, some ceiling fans. We bought them an alarm system uh, for their entire new place to protect all of the things that they have. And so that, that came from all of you guys as as a gift from the Orchard Church for your faithful giving. And so we praise the Lord for Adolfo and um, 
April there uh, in Mexico. So keep praying for them. We're really excited for their work. Uh, we talked about planning a trip. So if you've been interested in a mission trip, we've taken several to Haiti recently. We're working on some other trips, but we're also working on a trip down to Orizaba, Mexico. It was a great time. Everybody said, you know, was it really warm and hot? It actually was pretty cool. It was, I think it was warmer in Denver than it was there in Orizaba. They're up in the mountains, about 5,000 feet. It's pretty tropical and humid, and so it feels a lot cooler. And so I brought all these shorts and short sleeves and like one or two long sleeve shirts like this and all my shorts and short sleeves stayed in the suitcase all week long and I just kind of kept wearing the same thing and I said can you guys watch this for me and so we had a, we had a great time there on that that trip um, let me uh, talk to you this week in the vow about the vow uh, of pursuit the vow of pursuit and how if you think back to before you got married how you pursued each other and the foolish things and the kind of like the crazy things you did in the name of love to pursue that person and uh, I for those of you that follow me on Twitter or our Facebook page I put this picture up and I said uh, come Sunday and you'll hear the story behind this picture you guys can go ahead and laugh that's okay uh, this picture is Shelly and I 20 years ago on our first date this was the first date we went on, and I'm styling. That's a structure shirt there. Some of you guys remember structure. Got the 90s belt tied over there, you know, the rope belt going. And that is called the Bible uh, College comb over there that I got going. You can laugh at that. But uh, let me tell you what led up to this, uh, me getting that first date with Shelly. And it's kind of a long story, so I kind of try to keep it short. And, and Shelly likes to tell this story, so you can ask her for the details later. But to, to make a long story short, I was going to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. Her parents moved to the college, uh, their family there, because her dad uh, became the vice president of the college. She actually had, had finished all of her high school except for one English class. So she was taking the one English class at a, at a Christian school there. But then she was taking several college classes. So she was mainly in college, but was still kind of finishing up high school. Well, her family decided to come to the same church where I was at. And I was the youth pastor at that church. And so part of the time she would come to the youth group because she was technically not graduated yet. And part of the time she would go to the college group. And uh, to make a long story short, one of my friends knew that I was looking for a wife and he said hey how about Shelly and I'm like she's way too young for me and which means I'm a lot older than her and I said she's way too young but then I got to thinking about it and you know and God spoke to my heart and I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe she would make a great wife. And so she likes to tell everybody I was her youth pastor, which is kind of true, kind of not. But she was 18, so, you know, it was all legal and all that. But here's what happened. I'm going to get myself in trouble this morning. But here's what happened. She was going to the same college that I was going to, and where her dad was the vice president. And he had a parking spot that was, you know, like right up front at the offices, you know, for the vice president. Well, one day, Shelly, I had thought, drove, uh, you know, drove her car. She had a little Toyota, and, and she had drove it. And her dad would always let her park in his spot to be nice so she didn't have to walk, you know, as far to class. It was kind of one of the perks of being the daughter of the vice president. And so I saw her car. And this was when I was kind of pursuing her and maybe thinking about dating her and was working, you know, I was, you know, working that thing a little bit. And so I saw her car parked in her dad's spot. So I wrote out a little note, and I just said, hi, Shelly, I hope you're having a great day I'm praying for you you know and just you know hope to see you maybe sometime today whatever and I put the note on the car her dad comes home from work that day and at dinner he has the note and he says to Shelly does your youth pastor put notes on all of the girls cars 
because he had driven her car that day. I was busted right there. But it all worked out in the end, now 20 years of marriage later. But the, the foolish, crazy things we do to pursue in the name of love. Here's a thought that I want to, to talk about this morning. It's in your notes. By nature, we pursue that which we do not have. By nature, we pursue what we don't have. I mean, especially guys. I mean, before marriage, I mean, guys, we're hunters. You know, we're looking to make the kill. And we'll do all kinds of foolish and crazy things in the name of love to pursue the one, you know, that we're, we're after. We'll, we'll watch chick flicks with them and act like we enjoy them and like them. Maybe even shed a fake tear. You know, we'll get on the phone and we'll be willing to talk for hours. And that sometimes it just it ends up just breathing on the phone. You know, we'll do that, you know, before, before we're married. We'll get in the car and we'll drive hours to be with them, you know, maybe in the car just to see them for like 15 minutes and you would pick them up maybe just to take them to go get a coffee or a Coke and we put on that old tape of Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. And we, we sing that to them, you know, trying to impress them because we're, we pursue what we don't have, but then we get married. And then we get busy, and life begins to happen. And then maybe a couple of kids come along, and they take our time and attention. And we're busy with our career, and we're focused on that. And years begin to go by, and if we're not careful before we know it, we're barely even talking anymore with this one that we used to pursue so relentlessly. What happened? What happened? And I'll tell you what happened. We stopped pursuing each other like we once did. And when we stop pursuing each other in our marriage, it leads to problems. You show me a struggling marriage or divorce, and I'll show you a couple who stopped pursuing each other at some point. They stopped pursuing each other. Think about it this way. Is there any other area of your life that you can neglect and yet see improvement any other area? I mean, your body. If you just neglect your body and you don't watch what you eat and maybe exercise and try to tear, is it just going to naturally get better? No. You can't just neglect something and hope that it's going to improve. You think about your business. Can you just neglect your business and spend however you want and not have a budget and not do marketing forecasts and things like that and hope that your business is just going to improve and get better? No. Your yard, you know, can you just neglect your yard and hope that it's just going to look like the nicest yard in the neighborhood that's going to improve on its own? No. But yet somehow we fall into this trap of thinking that we can neglect our marriage and that it will just naturally improve over time. And yet, it will not. So that's why we're doing the vow series. And, and, and we're going to review the first two vows we've looked at the last two weeks and then talk about the one today. You have this in your notes. So as a way of reminder, the vow of priority so that we can see improvement in our, our marriage. The first vow the first week was the vow of priority. And help me out, church. Let's work together. I promise that God will be my number one priority and my spouse will be my number two priority. That was week number one. Week number two, we talked about the vow of partnership last week. I promise that our marriage will be about we and not about me. And if you've missed any of these, they're all on our website. They're videoed. You can go back and catch up. Here's our vow today to help improve our marriages. The vow of pursuit. The vow of pursuit. And the vow this week that we're going to take goes like this. I promise to always pursue my two. I promise to always pursue my two, my spouse, and not stop after we get married, but continue if we want to see improvement in our marriage. So let's say that vow together as we have each of these the three weeks, church. Let's say it together. I promise 
to always pursue my two. And this is born out of our text we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, after God made Adam and Eve, and they, they brought them together to... to uh, be married. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall be, he shall be joined to his wife. This word joined comes from the Hebrew word debak. Everybody say debak. Debak. And here's what this means. To be joined to his wife, to be joined together in marriage, debak means to cling or adhere. It means to catch by pursuit. To catch by pursuit, to pursue hard with affection and devotion. Would that describe how you pursue your spouse today? It probably did before you were married. Debak, to cling or adhere, to catch by pursuit, to pursue hard with affection and devotion. You see, we don't just pursue until we're married, until we make the kill or make the catch. We continue to pursue. We continue to work at the marriage. We continue to give attention to it if we want it to improve. Yes? Let me, let me give you some examples in the scripture how this word debak, this Hebrew word debak is translated into our English language in, to, to give you some pictures of what God has in mind about this pursuit of marriage. Uh, one of them is where the psalmist is describing how he pursues God. In Psalm 63, 8, it says this, My soul follows close behind you. My soul debaks. It follows close behind you. Uh, there in the book of Job, there's this, this uh, large animal called the Leviathan that is described that has these scales that are very close together. And in Job 41.17, this word debak, joined, it's, it's translated this way. They are joined, debak, joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. Isn't that a, that's a great way to think about our marriage and what God has for it. That it's joined one to another, it sticks together, and it cannot be parted. Israel, when they were pursuing their enemies to attack them, in Judges 20, verse 45, this is how this word debak is translated. Then they debak, they pursued them relentlessly. They pursued them relentlessly. This is what God has in mind for our marriages, how he wants us to continue to pursue our two. You know, there's a great illustration of the vow of pursuit in an Old Testament story. It's in the book of Genesis chapter 29. You can read all of it later, but some of you will remember this story. There was a man named Jacob, and he fell in love with this girl named Rachel. And he went to Rachel's dad, Laban, and he said, Listen, I would love to marry your daughter, daughter Rachel, and I'll do anything to have her as my wife. And so Laban thought for a minute, and he said, You know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you'll work for me for seven years, then I will allow you to have my daughter as your wife. Seven years, you're going to have to relentlessly pursue and work to have my daughter as your wife. I plan to also uh, take on this kind of... Uh, approach when some boy wants to marry my daughter. I'm going to point him to Genesis chapter 29 if he's willing to work for seven years. So he worked. He pursued relentlessly. He worked hard for Rachel for seven years. And then he comes to Laban. He's like, I did my seven years. I, I relentlessly pursued and I worked for her. And now I'm ready to be married. And then Laban does a little switcheroo on Jacob. And he said, okay, here's my daughter. 
But it's not Rachel, it's my oldest daughter, Leah, the not-so-attractive one. <laughs> so if you want Rachel, you got to work another seven years. What an evil trick. But he loved Rachel so much, and he was so willing to do anything to pursue her, he was willing to work another seven years in order to have Rachel as his wife. But here's what a lot of people forget and miss in the story. Laban allowed Jacob to go ahead and marry Rachel and then work off the, the next seven years. And yet, even though he was already married to Rachel, he continued to relentlessly pursue her and work for Laban for another seven years. That's a great picture of marriage and what God has for us in the vow of pursuit, that we don't stop pursuing after we get married. I promise to always pursue my two. And you know, I, I believe that when we got married and we said those vows and we stood at that altar, we had good intentions. I really believe that. I believe the majority of people, when they say their vows, they have good intentions, that they're going to love this per person till death do us part, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And, and we have this intention that I'm always going to pursue this person as much as I have to this point. We have good intentions. But we all know what happens to good intentions that don't turn into good actions. How many of y'all, let's be honest, you had good intentions for a New Year's resolution. And you made a New Year's resolution. You had good intentions. How many made a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of you are like, I just quit making them because I never turned my intentions into... You know, we make those, those New Year's resolutions and we get into late January, early February, and the good intentions don't always end up in good actions. We meant well. We had good intentions, but we didn't convert them into doing something, to, to good actions, which is exactly why many marriages struggle and why they die, because of unconverted good intentions. You have this in your notes. Get it this way. <clears throat> when it comes to marriage, we tend to judge our spouse by his or her actions and ourselves by our intentions. I'll let you think about that for a moment. When it comes to marriage, we tend to judge our spouse by his or her actions and ourselves by our intentions. You know, our spouse says, well, you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. Well, I intended to. I meant to. If you knew my heart, you would know. But yet when we look at our spouse and they don't do something we think they should do or they do something we wish they wouldn't do, we go, hey, why didn't you? Well, I had, no, it doesn't matter what you intended. It's about what you, you did. Here's our goal today. I want to help us all convert our good intentions into some good actions. If you're with me, say yes. That we don't just have good intentions, but they, that they are converted into good actions. And that we close the gap between our intentions and our actions. We've given you an assignment each week to do. Something very practical with your spouse. This week's is, is a little more difficult because it involves three things. I'm going to give you a three-fold assignment that has to do with the vow pursuit to convert good intentions into good actions. And here they are. Number one, and these are very practical. You can do these this week. Here they are. Number one, when you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. Hebrews 3.13 tells all of us this. But encourage one another. How often, church? Everybody say daily. It doesn't say weekly, not monthly, not once a year on anniversary. It says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. 
And this is not just a good verse of how to treat your neighbors and your coworkers and your friend and other Christians, but this is a great verse to apply to marriage. When you think something good, say it. Say it. Honey, thank you so much for picking up the kids from school every day. Thank you for getting up early and taking them, you know, as I'm getting ready for work. That I, really means a lot to me. You know, thank you so much for making this wonderful dinner, you know, after you've worked hard and long all day. You know, it's really good. You know, I know you worked at this. You know, hey, I know you got this big presentation at work tomorrow. I know you've worked hard at it, and you're going to do a good job. I believe in you. You know, you, it's going to go well. You know, hey, you text me, you know, during the day just to see how I was doing, just to check in. That meant a lot to me during the day to be connected that way. Thank Thanks for sending me that text. You know, I mean, the simplest things. You know, honey, thank you for finally putting the lid down on the toilet. I, I really appreciate that. That means a lot, doesn't it, ladies? And, and say that. You know, hey, did you, did you get your hair done today? It looks really nice. You know, it looks like you got your hair done. When you think something good, say it. Now, let me get very specific, beginning with the men first, because we need the most help. It's just true. Men, when you think something good, you're going to say it. And let me be very specific. You have this in your notes. You're going to pursue her with words of affection. That's how she wants to be pursued. You're going to pursue her with words of affection. Now, let me get real specific. Non-sexual affection. That's what we're talking about here. Pursuing her with words of affection. Non-sexual sexual affection. Men, let's say that together. Non-sexual affection. Some of you are like, I'm not saying that. I don't know what you're talking about. That's why we're talking about this. Words of affection. Non-sexual affection. Time and place for that later. Listen, men, the truth is we really don't know how most of us to affectionately compliment our wives and other ladies. Well, let me give you an example. Look at how men try to compliment each other. You know, it is very common for a man to say to another man, how in the world did an overweight, frumpy guy like you get a hot wife like that? And then the guy will be like, oh, Chucks, I don't know. <laughs> and then fist pump, you know, thanks, man. <laughs> That's how guys try to compliment each other. How did a doofus like you get a woman like that? Oh, I don't know, you know, high five, you know. Never, never, ever have I heard a lady come up to Shelly and go, how did a woman like you get a stud like Doug? <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that. Another lady. And maybe there's lots of reasons for that. I don't know. <laughs> but, but men, we, we need to learn how to, how to give words of affection, non-sexual affection, to our wives. Okay, so let, let me give you some advice. Now, ladies, plug your ears. Okay, put your fingers in your ears. Don't listen to this. Okay, this, this will help you in a very practical way, men. Use the word because after those three important words, I love you. I love you because, and I know I'm on the right track because I heard a lady just say amen. <laughs> I love you because, and it has to be different 
each time. It doesn't count if you say the same thing over and over. I love you because. I love you because this, this. No, I love you because you're, you've been so faithful to me. You've, you, I trust you. I love you because you've given us these wonderful kids. I love you because you're so good to our family. I love you because you work so hard in the home and you, and you go to work and you work. I love you because you're a godly woman and, and, and you love God. And I love you because... I love you because of these things. See, men, when you think something good, what are you going to do? Say it. When you think something good, you're going to say it. Pursuing her with words of affection. Non-sexual affection. You can do all things through Christ <laughs> who gives you strength. To the ladies, to the ladies, let me be specific. Just like he's going to pursue you with words of affection, you're going to pursue him with words of affirmation. You're going to pursue him with words of affirmation. Ladies say affirmation. 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 Why? Here's why. Because as confident as we, as men, try to present ourselves, he needs to know that you believe in him. He needs to know that you believe in him as his wife. He needs to know that you respect him. You see, your husband is becoming what you say about him. Let that sink in for a minute. Your husband is becoming what you say about him. If you nag him all the time and you tear him down all the time, he is going to become less of what you want him to be. But if you encourage him and you give him words of affirmation and you build him up, he's going to become more of what you desire and you what, uh, of what you want him to be. You may not re realize how powerful your opinion of him is, but it is. It matters. He needs those words of affirmation. We have uh, a little game that we play every Sunday after church. You know, you guys can go out of here, and I greet everybody out in the courtyard, and many times you go, hey, that's a great message, great message. Thanks for the message. That really, you know what? And I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. But there's one person that I, every Sunday, go home, and I say, how was the message today? Do you think it, do you think it went over okay? And it's my wife. I ask her every single week. How did I do? You know, if she's gone, for, it, it very seldom happens, but if she's gone or we're in one of the classes and, and somehow she's not in the message, I make her watch it online so I can then say, what'd you think? Because it matters. It matters to me. I, I, I care. And see, ladies, just like you want to know, does he love me today? He wants to know, does she believe in me today? Does she respect me today? Love and respect are two very important things in a marriage. There's a book that came out a few years ago by Dr. Emerson Egrich's. It's called Love and Respect. Th this is probably one of the... Yep, somebody read it. This is probably one of the best books that I've, I've read and come along in a while about marriage to just simplify it. It's about the love and affection she needs and the respect and affirmation that he needs. And, and this can be life-changing to your marriage. I encourage you uh, to pick this up. I bought these on CBD for like nine bucks. They were on sale, and, and I bought these. So if you want a book to continue this study on, to read together about what we're talking about, love and respect, read this book. It'll really help you guys. And I'd like to give this one out right now as a gift to our newest married couple. 
Our newest married couple. So if you've been married six months or less, stand up. Six months or less. If you've been married six months or less, stand up. Let's give them a hand. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Stay standing. How about four months or less? Stay standing. Four months or less? Three months or less? Two months? Oh, well, we're losing everybody. And I, how, how long? When are you guys married? October 7th? September, okay. October 10th? Beat them by three days. Come on down and get your book, all right? Hey, Bob Rockstead, can you take this to her? Let's give her a hand. Congratulations. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I really encourage you guys to, to, to pick that book up. Love and respect. So the vow of pursuit. First assignment is this. When you think something good, you're going to... You're going to say it. You can do that this week. Number two, second practical thing that has to do with the vow of pursuit. When you think something special, do it. Not only when you think something good are you going to say it, but when you think something special, you're going to do it. Everybody say, do it. Do it. You're going to do it. Now, those of you that are in here as singles, you know, that's always the fear of doing one of these marriage series. Singles think, ah, oh, this isn't for me. And hopefully you've gleaned something every week. We've tried to include you. And you may think, well, this one, I can't do that. You know, I don't have that special person that I'm married to. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But you know what? These are good relationship building principles for all of your relationships. Your friends, your family, people you work with, if you think something good about them, say something good about them. If you think something nice to do for somebody, do it. This is helpful for all of us, amen? amen. So this is, not, you know, this is not just for married people, but we are specifically talking to married people. Uh, James 4.17 says this, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's a sin. God says when there's something good you know you should do, do it. When you think something special for your spouse, do it. Now let me begin with the men. Men, when you think something special to do for your wife, do it. Now, most of the times we think chocolates and flowers, chocolate and flowers, flowers and chocolate, chocolate and flowers, flowers and chocolate. And those may be nice, and your wife may like those things, but I'm going to help you men out right now. There are some things you can do that are better and more romantic than flowers and chocolate, and they'll love it every time, and most of them won't cost you a dime. Men, get your pens out. You're going to write this down. I'm going to spell it for you because it's a very archaic word you're not familiar with. Okay? Let me spell it for you. Write this down, men. When you think something special, you're going to do it. This is going to be incredibly romantic to your wife. You're going to thank me later. Ladies, you can send me gift cards. Okay? Here it is. Ready? V-A-C-U-U-M. Vacuum. <laughs> you think I'm joking? Am I joking, ladies? No. <laughs> Would you appreciate if your husband did that? Yes. <laughs> and if you have a husband that does, he should have scored major brownie points this morning. <laughs> vacuum. My wife has said many times there is nothing more romantic to her than me vacuuming in my boxers. <laughs> I might have added that boxer part. <laughs> when you think something special, men, do it. Help with the kids. 
Help with the dishes. Fill up the car. My wife loves it when I fill up her car. That's a big one. Fold the laundry. Do the laundry. Help with the cook. Men are booing. I'm making some friends and enemies today, all at the same time. Help with the cooking and spiritual things. No, spiritual things. You pray. You lead your family spiritually. We've talked about that every every week. Man, when you think something special, do it. Now, and I know some of you guys are going, well, well I did something special last week. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to help you, men. With your wife, all your points evaporate at midnight. <laughs> they just, they do. They evaporate at midnight. You got to do this often. And your wife will think it's incredibly romantic if when you think something special, you do it. Now, speaking of being romantic, ladies, when you think something special, do it. Do it often. And you all think I'm joking, but that's all I had to say about that. We're moving on. <laughs> and, it, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to Pastor Barry at Got Questions booth afterward, okay? He'll answer all your questions. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> now listen, in all seriousness, <laughs> I hope I'm not offending anyone. Um, you know, we're, we're having a lot of fun this week. But, but these are very practical things that if you will begin to really apply them, they'll make a huge difference. We're, listen, next week is our last week, and it probably is going to be the most important week, but the most challenging and difficult week of this series. And we're going to have fun, and we're laughing a lot today, but next week is going to be very, very serious. And so, so it's good that we're laughing a lot today. Val Pursuit. When you think something good, you're going to say it. When you think something special, you're going to do it. And then number three, very practical. When you want something different, be it. When you want something different in your marriage and your spouse, you be it. Listen, I get tired of, of talking to marriages and hearing all the whining about everything this person does or doesn't do, and they want this, and they want that, and if they'd only this, and they'd only that, then our marriage would be better. Stop. We need to stop that stuff. That never improves the marriage by you trying to change the other person. If you want something different in your marriage, you be it. You say, well, what do I do different? What do I bring different? You bring more of Jesus and less of you. You bring more of Jesus and less of you. You think about what attracts us to Jesus. It's his sacrifice. It's his love. It's his mercy, it's his grace, it's his kindness, it's his compassion that he gives to us when we don't deserve it. Am I right? Say yes. Do you think that if you were like Jesus, that might be a little more attractive to your spouse? Absolutely. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us when we were sinners. He died for us. 
He paved the way to change us. He didn't say, you change and you clean all up and you make everything right. And then come to me and said, I'm going to die for you and then I'll help you to change. Now, some of you say, I, I just don't know if I can change. I, I don't know if I can be like Jesus. You're right, you can't. But he can. He can change you. He can work in a supernatural way in your life to portray himself through you in a way that you can't do. If you try to do this on your own, you're going to fail. I love what Romans 12.2 says in this translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform Say it, church. You into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When you want something different, you be it. You let God change you. Don't try to change your spouse. Men, let me say this to you. Women are great multipliers. They're, they're great at taking something and turning it into something beautiful. You, you give them a, an ugly, not-so-great house, they'll turn it into a beautiful house. You know, you give them money for food, they'll make you a great meal. You give them your love, they'll give you a bunch of kids. You know, you... Listen. <laughs> but they're, the, they're great multipliers, women are. You give them a hard time, they're going to give you hell. <laughs> it's a biblical word. It's in there. It's true. You want something different? Be it. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. Look at what you're giving. You want something different, you're going to say it. You're going to be it. You're going to be it. Now, ladies, let me say something to you. You will never change him with your words. You will not. I've seen women try over and over and over and over again. If I nag him enough, if I, if I say enough to him, he'll become what I want him to be. No, he, he will become the opposite of what you want him to be. You will not change him with your words. I have this on biblical authority. You have to be what you want. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. This could change some of your marriages today. Ladies, will help you. It says this, In the same way you wives must accept the authority, you must respect your husbands. Then if, if some refuse to obey the good news, I mean, they're not doing things right, they're not following God, they're not living up to the word, they're not being the loving, sacrificial husband they should be, what do you do? Here it is. Then even if some refuse to obey good news, your godly, what's the next word? Lives. lives. Not your godly words. Not what you say. Your godly lives will speak to them, to your husband, without any words. They will be won over. They'll be changed by observing your pure and reverent lives. Ladies, if you want something different, you've got you've to be it. So as we bring today's vow, the vow of pursuit to a close, let me say a couple of things to a couple of different groups of marriages. And you have this in your notes. Maybe you're here today and you say, I I've never really had the kind of marriage that I've desired that God wants. Then write this down. If you've never had it. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. 
You've got to be willing to do things different. You've got to be willing to take these assignments. You've got to be willing to apply the vow of priority, making God number one, your spouse number two. You've got to be willing to apply the vow of partnership, that it's about we and not me. You've got to be willing to practically apply today the vow of pursuit, that when you think it, you say it. When you think it, you do it. You want something different, you've got to be it. Listen, we said when we started this series three weeks ago, the way the world is trying to conduct marriage is failing. If you want to be different, you have to do something different. You've got to do something different. Now, for some of you, you would say, we once had something very special in our marriage. But somewhere along the way, we lost it. What, what, what should we do? Here, here is my advice to you. Write this down. To get what you once had, you must do what you once did. To get what you once had, to get it back, you must do what you once did. And you know what you once did? You pursued each other. You pursued each other. Listen to this before you just pack up. Listen. Jesus said this to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. A church that had lost their love of Christ, their, their husband, and as the church were the bridegroom... And he said this to a church that had fallen out of love with him, but it is an incredibly practical verse for marriages who once had something special, who maybe have lost it. In Revelation 2.5, Jesus said this, Consider how far you have fallen and repent, which means turn around, and go back and do the things that you did at first. That is a great verse. I've seen that verse right there turn many marriages around when it's applied. If you want what you once had, you must do what you once did. And that was you pursued each other. You paid attention to your marriage. You worked on your marriage. You applied these vows. Here's your assignment this week. When you think something good, say it. When you think something special, do it. When you want something different, be it. Our vow this week is this. I promise to always pursue my two. Would you bow your heads?